0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Morning, Real Life family. How are you? So glad you're here this morning. um, We're tying down our series called Whole. This is where we go through our purposes. And um, next week is going to be super awesome, amazing, can't even wait for you guys to hear what you're about to hear. you. So Brad Gray is going to be with us all weekend, um, next weekend. And I really want to encourage you to be a part of that Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, for So a lot of people have asked me over the years, like, where do you get your stuff? What books do you read? Who do you listen to? Brad is one of the guys that is I listen to. I actually have been with him to Turkey. He's incredible. Um, he's a guy that I would say, without question, you need to have in your library of people that you watch and listen to and read and learn from. The other thing is, he's going to preach on Sunday morning, and I happen to have heard prior to this, the sermon that he's going to preach on Sunday morning, and you are going to be like, no. nah, uh And then it'll be like, what? And then you'll be like, oh. And then, and then you'll cry. Uh, I'm telling you, I, the first time I heard this message, I openly wept three times. Like, I'm not, I'm not what you'd call emotional and, uh. Uh, like, it was just, mo- it's just moving to me. The sermon's moving me. So I really want to, I'm excited about that. After that, we're going to do a worship series, which um, kind of threw me back. I was reflecting as we've been preparing for this worship series, I was reflecting on kind of where we landed our last worship series all the way back in February. and was thinking about, like, revisiting reverence and awe. What does it mean to worship the Lord with proper reverence and awe? And have I let that commitment slip a little bit? Like, did I... Did I show up on time? Do I, did I show up prepared? Did I show up ready to worship God this morning? Or did I expect this service to do something for me? And it's always a good reminder for me to go back and reflect on that stuff. So we'll be coming up with worship. Um, but I really want to encourage you to, to go and watch that Brad Gray, go to the, participate in the Brad Gray Conference this weekend. I'll give you one other thing about him. So um, Brad... His national speaker like leads trips two or three times a year to Israel and Turkey, like they're always waiting lists i mean he's he's a big deal um and and he and i i know him i I really like him a lot, but he and I are not like besties we don't hang out we don't call each other once a week or nothing like that so when we f- we flying him in this spokane because the um Pullman airport is not reliable i didn 't know if you knew that um I was so surprised! I was like Pullman Airport changing flight schedules. Weird. Um, so we're flying him into Spokane, and um, you know we we pay, we reserved a rental car for him, which is pretty standard. When you bring a speaker in, you pay their what's called their shipping and handling. You pay their airfare and their hotel and their car and all that stuff. It's pretty standard protocol. Um, so we reserved him a car, and he called me a couple of weeks ago and said, "Hey." Um, Uh, we were talking about what's going on. He said, Hey, I I know you, you reserved a car, but he said, if you wouldn't mind, I would love it. If you would just come up and pick me up at the airport. And then you and I'll have an extra three hours together and to and from the airport. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Like no national speakers ever asked that ever of me. Like, it's just really, really cool. He, he, this is a guy who seriously walks out what he teaches. And so for me, that's a big deal. That, that's really important. Um, so I really want to encourage you to be a part of that. It's totally free to come to, but we would like you to register online so that we can know who's coming so we don't have enough coffee and snacks and that kind of stuff for it. So if you just jump on our website, liferotpcom forward slash restore, and you can get signed up for it. And then other than that, it's totally free. I'd appreciate that. The other thing that I'll throw at you, and then we'll get started in the sermon, um, is that made me think of a funny meme that I had uh, in my head uh, when the preacher's been preaching 10 minutes and then says, okay, let's get started. Tears. Um, We just started a podcast for our our church It's on our Life for OTP main page. You scroll down and find a better conversation. Episode one is posted, and it is an interview with Brad Gray. So if you don't know who he is or if you'd like to know more about him, it's about a 30-minute interview. A phone interview with him is great. Um, Gives him a ton of information about who he is and kind of what he's all about. And then um, we started this podcast. We called it A Better Conversation. And my goal with the podcast is that I really want to be able to uh, start the church having good conversations around these topics that are going on in our culture that the church doesn't deal with well. Um, some of them will be more controversial than others. But so like next week, we're, we're talking about relational ministry, which is just a general value of our church. And then um, that'll drop on Wednesday. Then the following week, we're doing one on empathy. The week after that, we're doing one on depression. Because I think the church has a terrible time talking about depression well. Uh, And as a family who struggles with legitimate depression, it's really hard. It's hard. And so um, we're going to talk about that. And then um, after that, we're going to do either a one-part or a two-part series on suicide. Uh, How does the church respond to suicide? That's a massive issue in our culture. It's a massive issue, especially on the Palouse over the last year. I mean, it's been a big, it's really hit us hard. And so um, we're going to, we want to talk about that. And how do we, how do we have a good conversation around that? Um, How do you deal with it if you're one of the people that find yourself caught in this thing? But um, we're going to talk about all kinds of things from um, like mental illness to abuse. What do we do with domestic violence? How does the church respond well to it? How do we deal well with um, childhood abuse and those kind of things? So we want to be able to have a good conversation around those. So that's what that podcast is all about and that'll be coming. Um, All right. So we're going to jump into our sermon. We're tying down the week four of our whole series, which has been a, a stroll through our purposes. Week one, we, we exist to share Christ with those who are far from him. Week two, we want to connect people to God and to each other. Week three, we want to minister to people in the church and around the world. Um, and then this week, we, want to, we, want to, we exist to disciple people to disciple people. And that's a really important way to state that because we don't want to just, just disciple you. We do want to disciple you, but there's, there's some mistakes that the church makes along the way that are really destructive for you and I. One is, um, we'll just get people to say yes to Jesus and then do nothing with them. And that's not awesome. But then another one would be to say, okay, well, we'll get you to say yes to Jesus, and then we'll disciple you. But if we don't help you to learn how to disciple other people, then what we do is ultimately just put off the inevitable death of Christianity one generation. That's all we accomplish. So what we want to do is not only disciple you, but we want to disciple you to disciple other people. Because I want to be clear about this. It is not the church's job to disciple people. It is the Christian's job to disciple people. Any person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus is called to make disciples. You just are. And, And you can't use the excuse, I don't know enough, or I'm not credentialed, or I don't have the right kind of position or authority in the church. Like that, none of that matters. If that was, if that stuff mattered at all, Jesus never would have been able to choose the disciples that he did. What matters is that you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and if that's true, you're called to make disciples as a person. The church's job is to help you do your job in making disciples. Does that make sense? Now, I I teach one-on-one class um, for both campuses, and uh, it's a, we call it partnership, it's a membership class, and we talk about this. And I I used to ask this question every one-on-one, and I would ask basically this question on a scale of one to ten, how important is discipleship? And I never had anybody say in 25 years, I never had anybody say anything other than, oh, it's a 10. Like, yeah, it's a 10. It, discipleship is a 10. Well, of course it is, it's really important. And then I would always ask this next question okay, well, then what's a disciple? And that's where everybody goes, um well I means. It's like, you know, you you know, fake a seizure. No, that's, we get, like, we have these general things that are kind of true about it. Like, for example, you know, well, the the disciple is somebody who loves Jesus. Well, yes. Yeah, but here's the problem with the dance that we do with what really is a disciple. If we don't know what we're making, then how do we know we made it? That, that's the struggle for us. And so what we want to do for our church is just be intentional about what it is that we're trying to make so that we can know that as we're making disciples, we're actually hitting the target at some level. Okay. So Matthew 419, here's what it says. Uh, this is going to be a simple definition for us. And, and my mission, my mission, my mission, my mission is if somebody asks anybody from real life on the Palouse, what's a disciple? because you guys get that question all the time, right? Like, but if anybody asks anybody from our church, what's a disciple, that you have the same definition. We, we know what we're trying to accomplish. Here's what Jesus says. It says, he said to him, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, in this invitation of Jesus to his disciples is the definition of what a disciple is. There's three pieces. A disciple is somebody who, first of all, is committed to following Christ. That makes total sense. Secondly, a disciple is somebody who's committed to being changed by Christ. And that's really easy to say and really hard to walk out, right? Because the good news is, what that means is 10 years from now, you're not going to be where you are today because you're being changed by Jesus. And if you are 10 years from now, exactly where you're at today spiritually, something is radically wrong with your journey, right? Like you know that you're going to be different. The good news also about that is, is that I'm not what I was 10 years ago. And and no matter how many people know me from my past and try to beat me up over decisions I made in my past, that's not who I am anymore. It's not who I am. I'm changed. I'm not the same. I'm not that person anymore. I'm being changed by Christ, and that's okay. That's good. That's actually healthy. That's part of what being a disciple is, which means then that you and I have to hold our understanding of who Jesus is, our understanding of who God is kind of open-handed, because as we grow and we're changed by God, we're changed through Jesus Christ, some things come true that we didn't realize were true, and some things um, that we do that we believed were untrue, they, like, or some things that we hold as true, they're untrue. Some things that we don't hold as true, they become true. That just happens over time. And so we've got to be willing to be open-handed enough with our understanding of things that that is okay. It's just the way it is. And so um, we've got to be changed by Christ. Third part of this is we've got to be on mission with Christ. So a disciple is somebody who's committed to following Christ, being changed by Christ, and somebody who's on mission with Christ. This is what a disciple is. There's three pieces to it: following Christ, changed by Christ, committed to the mission of Christ. Like you should be able to say that in your sleep tonight when you wake up from your dream. It changed by Christ, this should be coming to just roll out of you, roll out of you. Now, ultimately, our goal then is that you and I look and act more like Jesus. That's our goal. So that we can look and act more like Jesus. So we want for each other, right? I want you to look and act more like Jesus and you for sure want me to look and act more like Jesus. So I wanna throw a couple of scriptures at you. Luke chapter six, here's what it says. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So what's the goal of growing up in our, in our understanding of what it means to be a Christian? So we look like our teacher. Who's our teacher? Jesus. Jesus is. I'll show you another passage. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now keep it right there. Don't go to the next slide. How many of you have ever been beat up with this verse? Like, oh, your, your life really sucks right now. Oh, Romans 8, 28. <laughs> uh, how'd that work for you? I, had, I remember one time I was um, doing some training with some small group stuff in some other part of the country, and uh, I was sharing. I was in a, like a season of my family life that was just difficult, and I'm sharing about it, trying to be open and vulnerable, model what it means to be authentic in relationship. And there was a guy in there that had to get up and leave during the middle of the group. Now, we knew he had to get up and leave, so that wasn't a shock, but when he stood up, he went, pat me on the shoulder. Romans 828, brother. I was like, okay, so let me get this straight, Jesus. You say that if I'm angry with somebody in my heart, it's like I've murdered him. <laughs> so what you're telling me is he's dead. Because <laughs> like, I was like, really? Like, It just feels yucky when people, Romans eight twenty eight 28, Like, don't do that. Don't 8, 28, people. You need to have a... Eight, we need to make a bumper sticker. I got a new t-shirt idea. It says 8 colon 2 8 with a big circle and a slash. <laughs> it's true, but it's like we use, we kind of weaponize it. Now the next verse is going to tell us why it's true. Why does everything work to good? Here's why. Where's verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Like the goal of all this stuff is that it helps us look more like Jesus. It's not good, like, you can't look at somebody and go, all things work out for good. Really? Really? So what you're telling me is, when my dad beat me up my whole life, that was good. You're telling me that's good? Like, you're a jerk. Right? No. It doesn't say all things are good. In fact, some things are really, 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 really bad. What it says is that what we can learn is how, through whatever we endure, to be more like Jesus, which if you read the passages about suffering in the New Testament, that's why they count suffering joy, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. That's the process. So it does work out for good, even though sometimes it's really, 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 really hard, because it makes us more like him. Now, there's this interesting thing that goes on in the church, we throw around this phrase God is love and I agree with it. God is love, right? Would we all agree with that statement? God is love. What we'd mean by that statement when we say it though is the reverse of it. Love is God. And that's not true. And we got to understand this really carefully because what we say is when we say God is love what we mean is God is blind acceptance of everything. It doesn't there are no standards. Nothing matters. It doesn't it's not an issue. And I want to be clear about this. God loves you as a human, period. That, that will never change. Like that, you, can't, you can't make God love you more than he loves you right now. And that's important for us to learn. However, God does have expectations for a character. He does have expectations for how we live our lives. He does have expectations for those things. And that's a really important conversation because understanding and living in that well is the difference between spiritual immaturity and spiritual maturity. Let me read to you this passage out of 1 Corinthians 13. when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's what he's saying. Listen. You're going, to, you're going to grow in your spiritual maturity. That, like, you, can't, you can't be mad about where you are. You just don't want to stay where you are. We always want to be growing. Always want to be growing. You, don't want, you just don't want to stay there for years and years and years. You want, you want to always be in the process of becoming more mature in Christ. We always want to be in that process. And what he says is, when I was a child, I acted like a child. That's cause, why? Because that's what children do. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. I didn't act like a child anymore. Why? Because if you're 30 years old and you're still working a pacifier and a diaper, there's a problem. Right? Like there's an expectation that we're going to move past childish things into maturity. Um, I remember reading about Suzanne Wesley Suzanne Wesley is the mother of Charles and John Wesley, who are major figures in church history, major figures in church history. And it is super rare to find any, like, two siblings that come out of the same family that are both world changers. Both of these guys were world changers. Suzanne Wesley had 19 children, <laughs> biologically, 19, I mean, right? Some of you women are like, oh, No. No, for sure no. 19 children biologically. You'd think she'd figure out where that comes from. And go, we're, no, we're cutting that off. No more. No more of that. So here's, what she, here's the thing. She had one hour of prayer time with the Lord every day. 19 children, no television. One hour of prayer time with the Lord every day. So, like, I don't know what your excuse is, but I'm like, man, she inspires me. Like, I feel convicted every time I tell this story. Here's how she did it. After lunch, after the kids were all fed for lunch, she would clean it up, and then she would sit down in the kitchen and put her apron up over her head. And the kids knew, mama's with Jesus. And if we take the apron off, or if we make her take the apron off too early... Mama's with the devil and and it's not good. The devil and Jesus are apparently pretty close to one another and mama finds them both depending on how we act, Here's what she said about parenting children. What she said was, you can't punish a child for acting like a child because it's what they are. Like you can't. And and I think one of the mistakes that we make in our world is ask kids to grow up too fast and then ask adults to stay like children. Like, we don't know how to figure out that balance. And part of it is because our culture's completely lost rites of passage. We don't understand good rites of passage. And so we don't know how to help young people transition into becoming Adults And and, and to take that in honor. I mean, think about, like, in most cultures in the world, they have this ceremony where your expectations are clearly lined out and moved so that when, as you take this next step into your life, you understand that you're moving into a grander state of maturity. What we have is Miley Cyrus. (laughs) Which I'm not bagging on Miley Cyrus. I'm not making fun of her. I, I feel sad for her because she didn't know how to break free from being a child. So what she did was she tried to prove that she was a woman and she did it exactly how you would do it in our culture. And I'm so sad for her that there wasn't any clean lines for that. Can't punish a child for acting like a child, it's what they are. What she also said then was, but if the child is acting in rebellion, punish them swiftly and severely. (laughs) So there's that. Um, Mm Can't you can't when you're a child, you only have the capacity to think and reason as a child. So when you're spiritually a child, you only have the capacity to think and reason as a child. That's not wrong. That's not evil. The goal for us, though, is to help one another grow up in Christ so that we can put away childish ways of understanding God and our Christian life. We want to function. There are standards for God's expectations of how we live. Not only of the convictions that we hold, but how we hold them in the world. Like there are, there are standards. God is not a God of blind acceptance. And so we have to figure that out. And as a community, like that's a wrestling match. And I get it because on one end, there's the, you know there are lines to be drawn in the sand. On the other end of the spectrum is, when you draw the line and you're a jerk about how you do it that doesn't work either right and so there's this tension in how we do that well i get that but there is an expectation in our spiritual life that we're not going to stay immature we're going to grow up so here's what god did ephesians chapter 4 he gave some of the apostles he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what he's saying. Our objective as a community of people is to help all of us grow to maturity in Christ. And so in order to pull that off, what God did was he made people kind of different. It made us see things differently, made us have different gifts, different abilities. Um, And so as we work together, we all help each other figure out what it means to be mature in Christ as we work together. I am firmly convinced that if you guys just thought like me, the world would be a better place. And you are too. (laughs) <laughs> but we, like, we all kind of have our own perspective on the world. And, and what happens is when we're not allowing that perspective to be rounded out by other people's perspectives, it's super dangerous. It's super dangerous for us. Because here's my experience. When I disciple people one-on-one, they start to look a lot more like me. Not physically, thank you, Lord, but um, <laughs> they start to look a lot more like me. When we disciple people in small groups they start to look a whole lot more like Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why we live and die on home groups. Like home groups are central to who we are because it's this environment where we can collectively start to look a whole lot more like Jesus because we're getting rounded out perspective on what God's like. Does that make sense? So the question is how? How do we do this? First Timothy 2.2. Paul is charging Timothy, who's in Ephesus, And here's what he says. What what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men and women. Let's be clear. Can I get a witness from my sisters? (laughs) Who will be able to teach others also. What Paul says is, Timothy, you came and learned some things from me that were super important for you. Don't keep them to yourself. You've got to pass that on to other people. Like when you come to a small group or you come to a church service and something touches you and you're like, oh Lord, that really spoke to my heart. For you to just go home and take that and keep it to yourself, that's not how this is supposed to function. Because that thing that, that the Holy Spirit did in your heart, it's not just about you. Whatever it is, whether it was a, a conversation in the lobby or the worship or the sermon or something in, in the middle of that, Whatever it was, that conversation wasn't for you only. It's for you to be able to pass through to others. Think about this. If you eat physically and eat and eat and eat and nothing comes out, what's that called? Constipation. You guys are afraid to say, are we allowed to say constipation in church? As a matter of fact, you are. Uh, it's true. It's a real human condition that happens it's constipation. Think about this. If, if you spiritually go to your spiritual environments and you eat and eat and eat and eat and nothing passes out of you, what's that called? Spiritual constipation. Now here's the thing about constipation. If you don't get it taken care of, you'll die true is spiritual constipation too. If you don't find a way to start having an outlet for what you're doing, you'll spiritually die. It's the way we're made. And so we have to function together for all of us, not to just take the good things that the Lord's doing in our heart and keep it to ourselves, but to become a conduit that it passes through and blesses the life of other people as well. This is how it's supposed to function, and Paul is calling Timothy to that. What you learn from me, you entrust to reliable men and women who will also be able to instruct others. That's what this is about. Now, I want to give us one story as we start to tie our sermon down, one story that is Jesus putting all this together. This is Jesus saying, look, um, he's contradicting somebody. He's taking a stand against where the person is. And yet he's doing it in a way that really is honoring to the person and honoring to God and who, what God cares about in this world. This is a really, really good example of this. So I want you to see it in action. Mark chapter 10, famous story, by the way. And he knew as, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, by the way, that's not a common term. That's a, that good teacher is, uh, he's um, brown nosing. This is what he's doing. He's trying to butter up. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and if you've heard a sermon on this, I'm sure you know this. What he's asking here is, what's the one thing that I have to do to get into heaven? What, give me the one, what is the one act? What is it? that I have to do to get into heaven. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Which by the way is totally appropriate for Jesus to say because it's a weird greeting. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love this moment. Here's why. Because Jesus doesn't look at him and go, oh my gosh, really? You think you've got this all figured out, Mr. Hoity-toity? Well, let me take you down a notch. Right? Jesus doesn't look at him that way. Now, he doesn't compromise his convictions either. He, Jesus doesn't give him go, ah, well, you know, if whatever. I love you doesn't matter. Do whatever. You know, just kind of keep it real. Um, He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Oh man, I know this conflict thing. It's so awkward. Ah, I just love you. Come here, little buddy. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. He stands his ground on his convictions, but with a lens of love. Does that make sense? He looked at him and loved him and said, Because I think, and I, you know, I've, I've read this passage a lot of times. I've heard lots of sermons about it over the years, and I've always kind of thought of this kid as kind of smug. You know, he comes in well, I've cheap all that since I was young. Here's the thing: I, I genuinely think that this kid was genuinely searching. That he was like, "What's, what is it that I need to do?" And Jesus is like, "Well, keep the commandments." And he's like. But I've done that. And maybe the thing behind the question, and this is just me reading my own junk into the story probably, but maybe the, the thing behind the question is, and I feel like there's something still missing. I've done all that stuff and, and something's still missing. So Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he, he said to him, you lack one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Another sermon for another day. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him then who can be saved Jesus looked at them and said with the man it is impossible but with God but not with God for all things are possible with God by the way i've heard the story i've heard the story about the gate called the eye of the needle in the wall around jerusalem you guys heard this story it's a short gate and the camel had to get on its knees to crawl through it and so we like the camel have to get on our knees and go through the eye of the needle Uh, with our head low. Uh, Okay, so three things that I want to say about that. Number one, the gate doesn't exist. Um, Come with me to Israel. We'll walk around the whole city wall. There's no such thing. Number two, camels can't walk on their their knees. They're too barrel-chested. Their legs aren't long enough at the knee to actually be able to do anything. It's like genetically impossible for them to do that. Number three, um, Jesus is talking about a camel and the eye of a needle, not a gate. That would absolutely make no sense to have when there's six other entrances that camels could walk through. Why would you make it hard for them? Other than that, it's a good idea. Um, It's interesting. I love the metaphor. I love the metaphor. I love the idea of, you know, on your knees, head bowed before the Lord. That's how we approach. I love that. It just, it's a great simile. (laughs) It's not real. Uh, Anyway, I love Jesus's moment here with this guy. Where he looks at him and loves him and has genuine compassion for him and still invites him to a better truth, which is at the heart of making disciples, right? Making disciples for us as a community isn't about letting people stay where they are. It's about having the hard conversation. It's about hanging in there with people and not bailing out on them and walking them through the process. Like, we got to do that. And you can't, like, when you're in that kind of an environment, you can't go, I got my feelings hurt. I'm leaving. it's so much of church has become so American. It's so consumeristic. Like, well, I didn't like that. I didn't like what you did. Oh. I don't, I don't, or I really liked it. I'm, I'm going to get involved in that because I really liked it. I hate it when people say that to me. Liked your sermon. Oh, I like pizza. Uh, you know. <laughs> liked it. Well, what, what are you going to do with it? That's what I want. Like, tell me, tell me where, you know, because of what you said, I'm convicted. I'm gonna change some things. Here's what I'm gonna change. I'm gonna go home and be different. That I get. Ooh, ooh. Oh, I, I get teary-eyed just thinking about it. That's what discipling is all about. It's not about letting coming in and feeling good and being happy. It's about us building the kind of relationships where we can journey with each other through the process of spiritual maturity into spiritual adulthood, so that we can be presented mature and complete, not lacking anything, and not be like infants tossed to and fro by all the things that come through our culture. Like, what do we do with all this mess? Um, We worship, because that's what spiritual adults would do. We worship our way through it. With that in mind, we're gonna move towards the Lord's table. And so um, for us, we take communion every week, and it's an opportunity for us to tell everybody as we take communion, hey, I, I heard that and I was challenged by that, but I want you guys to know, I want everyone here to know, and I want God to know that even though I was challenged by that, I'm, I'm in. I'm still part of this game. I, I still want to be part of the team here. Um, that's what communion is. It's not, it's not just about you and God. It's also about you and us, all of us is this opportunity for us to reconnect. And that's why it's the sign of our covenant. It's the thing that we do to show people what covenant we're a part of. So we have an open table at our church. Every week we take it. And if you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, we want you to, you're you're welcome to partake with us. But we want you to hold those elements to the end and we'll take them all together. While they're passing that out, we're gonna work through a few implications. And uh, these are fun. So implication number one. Disciple maker is who I am, not just what I do. There should never be environments where I disciple and environments where I do not. What a lot of people do when they start thinking about this whole disciple making as a lifestyle, whatever. Like I feel like Jesus wants me to make disciples as a lifestyle. Is we go, oh my goodness, I got to go through life with a hatchet and hack up my life and mess everything up and blah, 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 blah. Uh, Before you go through life with a hatchet, I would just ask you to consider... What are the environments that you're already in that would be wonderful disciple-making environments that you're just not using them intentionally? Like before we end a bunch of things, how about if we just reroute their purpose? You know, when I'm, when I'm in this environment, how do I make disciples? When I'm in this environment, how do I make disciples? Because a disciple-maker makes disciples out of who they are, not because it's an obligation to do something. It's, it's the mark of maturity. Um, you think about, like, how do you make disciples at the grocery store? How do you make disciples at the restaurant? How do you make disciples at a football game? I'm on, I know we're stepping on some toes. When you yell and scream over a yellow flag thrown at a bunch of boys playing a game in a field. Like, how are you making disciples? Because for a disciple maker, there's not an environment where they don't make disciples. And and let's be honest, I love you, I love you, hear what I'm saying, that's an idolatry problem. Like our culture has an idolatry problem with sports. Love football, watch it, be excited, love your team, all that, that's all wonderful. But when we lose our witness and we lose our capacity to make disciples because of a game, something is radically wrong with our walk with Jesus. And I know that's hard because them Cougs, they're doing good this year. Come on now. Uh, and I watched with a big smile on my face as they kicked a field goal last night. Yesterday, I was like, come on Cougs. Uh, I love, and I love it. I-, I don't have any problem with watching sports and loving sports. I just don't wanna make it an idol. Just don't make it an idol. That's, that's the dance that's the dance. Are there environments where you think you don't make disciples? Because those are the places that I think maybe God wants to redeem in our life. Implication number two. The answer for the world is Jesus, not the church. I want to be real clear about that. What a lot of churches will do is that they'll disciple people in to be happy with their church so that they won't leave and they feel satisfied with the programs and serve the, the pro and the structures of the church. Look, uh, I love that you want to come and be a part of our church. And I think that the church is important and significant, but the answer for the world isn't real life on the Palouse, it's Jesus. And real life on the Palouse is only as effective as it points people back to Jesus. And the minute that it becomes about our church, then we all need to go find another church to be a part of, including me. And, but apparently me, not the leader, because then somehow I'm radically got that wrong. Right? So it's not the, the answer for the world isn't the church. The answer for the world is Jesus. And we've got to disciple people to him, not just to be a part of an organization. Last implication, the fruit of your life should grow on other people's trees. Uh, Let me tell you the heart so I've learned a lot of really hard lessons over the years. And over the last couple of years, I've learned an exceptional amount. God has been so loving to me that my life over the last couple of years has been a complete train wreck. Um, Some of it was my fault. Some of it was, it was all just God going, man, I love you. But watch what I'm going to do with your life. I'm like, really? He's like, oh, I'm just getting started. This is one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn over the last couple of years is that, if you want to be a difference maker in this world, you've got to stop trying to be the hero of your own story. And I love being the hero of my own story. You know, the only thing that I love more is being the hero of your story. Like, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning without a word of God from Aaron Count. You know, the heroes in the cartoons, um, they have like a 44-foot long torso and the little tiny legs, and they land and they walk like this. I mm. uh, want when, when, yeah every, every guy that I've ever met this may not be universally true for guys but every guy that I've ever met at some point in their life has stood in front of their bathroom mirror and dreamed that that was them right? they all have and They flex, they all get all uh, I'm going to be 45 in a couple of weeks, I'm just happy to get my pants buckled right now, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, there was a day back, back when I was awesome um yeah. Uh, it, we all want to be the hero of our own story and what I would suggest is that rather than trying to give your life to being the hero of your own story what the Lord's really been ringing out in me is help other people be the hero of their story your fruit if you're a disciple maker grows on other people's trees and if you're like well that don't make no sense at all read John 15 I'm the vine and you're the branches that's what Jesus said where does the fruit grow in a grapevine? On the branches. And he even says it if if you remain in me, you'll produce much fruit. Jesus' expectation is that he wants to produce fruit in this world, but he wants to do it in your life. Right? Just like Jesus, if you're a disciple maker, you have to be okay with the fact that your fruit grows on other people's trees. Like your investment isn't gonna be some awesome thing for you, it's gonna be a blessing for other people. And we gotta be okay with that just the way it is. Um, I love the segue into communion from that. First of all, because we were just talking about a grapevine. <laughs> and secondly, because it's this model of this reminder of laying our life down, which is exactly what communion is all about. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant, of my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to say thanks for um, your grace and thanks for continuing to refine us. Thank you for um, all the ways that you are so patient. Lord, thank you for this amazing privilege and sacred call to be disciple-makers, and I pray that you would help us to have the courage to do that well in your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.